0: Well, if you weren't blessed already by that worship, man, sometimes she just picks out songs that just, well, she always picks out songs that just resonate, but something about that only Jesus song that just, it's the way it should be. It's the way it should be. Titus chapter one tonight, but also while you're turning, got a couple other places for you. I want you to turn to Matthew 7, verse 15, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Matthew 7, Acts chapter 20. Tonight we are going to talk about the requirements for a spiritually healthy church. And now obviously... If these are requirements for a spiritual healthy church, made up of Christians, then they would also be requirements for a spiritually healthy Christian too. So, you and I can apply these principles to us individually, but obviously in this context, Paul is writing to Titus, and he's saying, Titus, after these churches have been planted on the Isle of Crete, There needs to be now spiritual leadership and spiritual organization and spiritual order given to these local churches, and they need to accomplish certain things. And we saw last week that the reason why spiritual leaders are raised up in local churches is for three things, discipleship, direction, and doctrine. That they are to take the lead in discipling each other, because Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples He didn't just say, get people saved. He didn't just say, make believers. He said, make disciples. And there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. And so, discipleship has to take place and the leaders have to sort of be the the examples of that. Direction talks about the direction that we're headed, being an example and a model from our home to everywhere. And then doctrine doctrine we ended with chapter 1 verse 9 where it says spiritual leaders must hold firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught so that he will be able to give exhortation in such healthy teaching and correct those who speak against it we said two things Spiritual leaders and really every Christian in the local church should be able to do two things. They should be able to convey truth, the truth of God's word, and we should be able to confront error. Now I want to pick up on that tonight. Because I want to go back just for a moment to that verse 9. Because notice he uses the word healthy teaching there. He uses this phrase throughout the letter. A verse we're going to look at a little bit closer a little bit later on, but I want to mention it now. is verse 13 of chapter 1. Such testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply, that they may be healthy in the faith. He's talking there about people being spiritually healthy, spiritually fit, um, spiritually whole, not diseased, if you will, not sick spiritually. Uh, not ill spiritually, but spiritually healthy. Now, in order for people to be spiritually healthy, we need to uh, nourish ourselves on the right spiritual food. Bad food, spiritually, is going to affect us just as it would in the physical realm. If you and I want to be physically healthy then we have to have a diet of good food. If we eat things that are bad for us all the time, and that's what we feed and feast on, then our bodies are going to be affected by it. Physically, we're going to have problems. We may develop things, and I'm not talking about the genetic thing, because my my son is a type 1 diabetic. He was born with a problem. I'm talking about, say, type 2 diabetics, or people, because of their lifestyle or their diet, they've developed it. Well, we have all kinds of health issues based a lot of times on our diet, or lack of it, however you want to look at it. And the correlation is, good food makes us feel good and feel better and all of that bad food can affect us negatively and then we go even a step further because what he's talking about here even talks about things that are diseased things that are destructive think of it as things that are poisonous i mean you and i wouldn't want to go to someone's home and have this big spread put out and before us at, at a meal as a guest and, and know that one of those things is really bad for us. Uh, it could be put, po- we don't know which one that is. Would we take of anything? Probably, no, I, I'm not eating anything, because if I pick out something bad, we wouldn't invite somebody over to our house and feed them knowingly something that that uh, is spoiled, something that could cause food poisoning or cause them to feel bad. And yet, in the spiritual realm, we have to be careful that as Christians... And in the local church especially, and here's sort of the first point then tonight, of a requirement for a spiritually healthy church, we must be zealous for the truth. We must be zealous for the truth. That's what he began to talk about in chapter 1, verse 9. Holding firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught, so that he will be able to give exhortation in such healthy teaching and correct those who speak against it. Now, obviously, Paul wasn't the first one to come up with this about being zealous for the truth and making sure that we are alert to the threats of bad doctrine and bad teaching, and I'll say it this way, bad spiritual food out there and the people who serve us bad spiritual food. So back in Matthew 7.15, look at what Jesus even said. He said in Matthew 7.15, Watch out, be alert to the threat of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. In other words, Jesus is saying, Be careful, Christian. There's going to be false prophets peddling bad spiritual food. Now, they're not going to come at you as wolves. They're going to come at you clothed as sheep. So it's going to be harder to detect, which is one of the reasons why we must be zealous for the truth and we must be aware of the threats, you see. Then turn over to Acts chapter 20. Paul picks up on this in the book of Acts. Chapter 20. I want to begin in verse 28. Paul here is talking to the Ephesian spiritual leaders of the church at Ephesus. Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own Son. I know that after I am gone, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from among your own group, men will arise teaching perversions of the truth to draw the disciples away after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that night and day for three years, I did not stop warning each of you with tears. And now I entrust you to God and to the message of His grace, This message is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I warned you, be careful. Wolves are coming. Even from within your church, he says, there will be people who are peddling bad doctrine, bad teaching, unhealthy spiritual food. And what the Bible is teaching is if we're going to be A healthy church, if we're going to be a spiritually healthy church, if we're going to be a spiritually healthy Christian, then we must be alert to the threat of all that bad doctrine, bad teaching, and bad spiritual food out there, and we must be zealous for the truth. Because if we are taking in and feeding ourselves on bad doctrine and bad teaching and things that are bad and diseased spiritually, then it will negatively affect our spiritual life, you see. So, back to verse 10 of Titus chapter 1. Notice then what Paul says to Titus. Again, all under the principle of being zealous for the truth and alert to the threat. For there are, notice, not few, he says, there are many rebellious, not willing to submit to the authority of God and His Word, people, idle talkers, literally in the Greek, windbags, blowhards, a lot of hot air, but no substance to what they are teaching. And they're deceivers. Because obviously they're not teaching The truth of God's Word. Then we get a little bit of a hint into their angle here in this context. He says, especially those with Jewish connections. And we're going to see later on, like in verse 14, he says, don't pay attention to the Jewish myths and commands of people. What was primarily and specifically going on here was that there was a Jewish influence there that was trying to bring Christians back under the law there was this focus on legalism rather than grace. And obviously Paul's going to talk more about that later on in Titus chapter 2. But false teaching and false doctrine and bad doctrine and diseased food and all of that can take all kinds of form. Anything that deviates from the truth of Scripture is bad for us spiritually. Bad for us spiritually. Notice that Paul here then, says verse 11 who must it is of absolute necessity in the local church that anyone who's teaching something other than the truth of God's word must be silenced literally bridled muzzled shut them up See, it is the responsibility of spiritual leaders especially, but really for all Christians to make sure that we shut down false teaching. That we don't allow it into our lives or into the lives of anyone else. Why? Because again, bad teaching, diseased food will negatively affect us. Let me say some things about this that I think even for some Christians would cause them to go, whoa, I... That's pretty radical. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Paul has a zero tolerance policy regarding teaching that deviates from Scripture. He says we must shut down any and all who are teaching something other than the Word of God. Notice that Paul, and I'll say it this way, beyond Paul, that God does not believe in freedom of speech in the local church, which is which is really counter uh, cultural to our uh, you know, everybody's opinion matters, what anybody thinks, it's of equal value. Because we live in a pluralistic society. And yet, Paul is saying, do you realize the damage it can do in a local church when anybody and everybody could get up and start expounding whatever they think? If it's wrong, how that can negatively influence people? And we again, we would never dream of serving something spoiled or rotten or diseased to people when they come over for a physical meal. And yet, do we take that same zealousness, if you will, and are we we as alert to the threat of how bad doctrine can get into our lives or into the life of our church and cause so much damage? This is part of the problem with the church today. We in general, tolerate anything and everything in our church, and then we wonder why we have a bunch of sick Christians walking around. Ill. Weak. Because they are feeding off of stuff that deviates from the Word of God. They're not getting good, solid, healthy teaching to be able to make them strong and build them up. So Paul says, they must be silenced. Why? Because they literally mislead whole families. In other words, he's saying when, when, when this bad doctrine and disease takes, takes its hold, it's so thorough that if it gets into a, a husband, a wife, or mom or dad, it can trickle down into the kids too. Because if, if a, if a parent buys into it, obviously then they're going to pass that bad doctrine on to their children. And pretty soon you've got whole families in the church that are deviating from Scripture because we've taken in some diseased doctrine rather than the truth of the Word of God. And notice Paul even calls them out on their motive. He says, these people are teaching for dishonest gain. Their motive is trying to make a buck. That's what their motive is. They try to try to teach things that will cause people to give to their ministries. And all I'll say is, look at a lot of the ministries on television. Jesus said, freely you receive, freely give. So, Paul's calling them out. And he says they're teaching things that ought not to be taught. Notice over in verse 13. He says, for this reason, rebuke them sharply. The word rebuke is the same word that is translated correct in verse 9. Correct those who speak against it. Here it's just translated in the Net Bible, rebuke them sharply. Cut off the influence of false doctrine rigorously. That's what the word sharply means. Rigorously. Think about what Paul's saying here. And you'll get this idea from even now going into the medical world. You cut to cure. You cut something out to cure. You operate to liberate. If there's a problem that needs addressed in our body then we are more than happy to have a surgeon go in and take out whatever's causing us discomfort or pain or giving us problems. We don't want to cut, but if the cutting into our body and the taking whatever out there that's causing us problems is going to come out, then I feel so much better, you see. And that's what Paul said. We've got to cut out the bad doctrine, the disease doctrine, and get it out of our churches and get it out of our lives because it's, it's damaging us. It's causing us issues and problems, you see. And that's why he makes no bones about it. We need to rebuke sharply. Again, notice what he says. So that they may be spiritually healthy in the faith. That's the first step, in a sense. It it gets them to a better place. But then notice what else it does. Then he says, and not pay, and in the Greek language it's in the present tense, meaning it's continual action, and they will continually not pay attention to Jewish myths and commands of people who reject the truth. Here's what Paul's saying. Just like in the physical world, if I eat a bunch of junk food and I want to change my diet, I've got to, I've got to go through that process of changing my taste buds and changing my, my desires and all of that. So as I, as I start and launch out to eat, say stuff that's better for me, it, it, it's hard at the beginning, but, but here's what happens When I begin to take in a good diet, part of the byproduct of that is then the things that I used to eat that were junk, I don't quite desire as much as I used to because now I'm developing a a new appetite. I'm I'm developing new tastes. I'm... uh, I'm sort of forming a new palate. I'm changing my palate so that the things that are better for me actually taste good to me now and the things that aren't as good for me don't taste as, as good and over time, I will even lose my sort of appetite for those other things. And that's what Paul says happens spiritually. The more you and I are in the Word of God, the more we never want to get out of the Word and go to anything else. The more I get a taste of this luscious steak that God puts before me every day. Medium rare. That's the way I like my steak. Cut it with a a fork because it's like butter. Chew on that and go, oh man. Why would I ever want to go back to something else? And you know that. You know that. Because whether it's here through the Oasis or through some other Bible teaching ministry or whatever, when you get a taste of the Word and you start feeding and feasting on the Word through Bible teachers and even through your own life, you realize, oh my goodness, look at this, what I, what I have here. And you don't want to go back to just the junk. You, you, you now start to develop a taste for this. And that stuff doesn't even appeal to you anymore. That's what Paul says is happening here. But it all starts with the very first requirement for a healthy church. Be zealous for the truth. And be aware of the threat of diseased teaching and diseased spiritual food. Because if we take in bad food spiritually, it affects us negatively spiritually. If we take in good food spiritually, then it makes us spiritually Healthy. It all depends on our diet. And it's up to especially the spiritual leaders of every local church to make sure that all of you as sheep in this church are getting good, healthy teaching. Secondly, the next thing is that we are to be distinct from the world. That's the second requirement for a spiritually healthy church. To be distinct from the world. Or I'll say it this way, I'll say it several ways. To be in the world but not of the world. To not allow the culture around us to influence us as Christians. To be able to be our own person and not be influenced by the bad diet and the undisciplined lives and 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 the uh, ungodly appetites of all those people around us, if you will. Notice what Paul says in verse 12. A certain one of them on the Isle of Crete, in fact, one of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, and such testimony is true. People on the Isle of Crete in Paul's day had a terrible reputation because they were people of terrible character. And it was sort of known all over the world... If you were a Cretan, that was, that was like a derogatory term. In fact, even today, some, every once in a while you might even hear, oh, you're a Cretan. It just means, ooh, you know, you're, you're not a very nice person. I mean, that, that term, every once in a while you hear it filter out. but It goes back to this reputation that they built for themselves years ago. And yet notice, Paul had Titus establish local churches on this island. But what Paul is saying in all this is, you and I, if we're going to be spiritually healthy, a community of believers or even an individual Christian, though we are in the world, we can't be like them. We can't allow who they are and how they live and their perspective and their mindset and their value system and all that To become ours, it's got to be the other way around. We've got to influence them. Which is why, again, we saw that the overarching theme of the book of Titus is that we wear the Word of God well. That we wear the message well enough that it appeals, it attracts, it is compelling to others, so that it draws them to God and to His Word. But in order to do that, that means we've got to be different from the world. We, we can't be like them. We've got to be different. And, and so again, this sort of sets in contrast. There are so many churches today and so many Christians that think that if I want to reach the world for Jesus, I've got to become like them. No. No, just the opposite. If you and I are going to reach those people for Jesus Christ, then that means we've got to be absolutely different from them. And yet so many churches today are trying to bring people into their church, especially unsaved people and people who are searching and stuff, but they're using worldly methods to do it. And Paul said, no. Be different. Be countercultural. in your approach. Jesus when he was here on earth, he never compromised who he was or anything in order to reach people. He never did. If they didn't want to come the way he said you've got to come, see ya. He didn't go running after him. go, okay, let's lower the standard so that I can keep you with me. No, he never did that. He said, here's the standard. Here's what it is. You either like it or you don't. But I'm not going to change who I am or change my standard to try to attract all these people. A spiritually healthy church will be different from the culture around us. Notice here. Paul wants these congregations in Crete to be strongly exhorted to be countercultural in the way they think and the way they live. He wants them to be biblical in their thinking, biblical in their living. It is a marvelous call to Christian discipleship. You see, Paul is concerned that the Christians in Crete not fall into the ways of simply following in practice and in attitude and in outlook and in behavior the way. The rest of them on Crete live. He doesn't want them to become liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. He wants these churches to be distinct communities that show that God makes a difference. God makes a difference. And then finally, tonight, the third Requirement for a spiritually healthy church and spiritually healthy Christian is to focus on the inside out. Again, there's going to be several ways I'm going to say that same thing, but to focus on the inside out. Let me add this. To focus on inner heart transformation. To not be externally focused, but to be internally focused. Or, as I like to say, instead of external, be eternally focused. I get that from verses 15 and 16. You see, Paul here in verses 15 and 16 wants us to recognize how the Spirit of God works. He works by the Word of God being spoken to our consciences Impacting our desires and transforming the heart of a believer from the inside out so that our outward actions affect, are affected from the inner transformation. Notice he says in verse 15, all is pure to those who are pure, but to those who are corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and consciences are corrupted. You could also add the word there, polluted or contaminated. Same same concept. See, what Paul is saying is this. And we can get this picture from, from nature. If the source of a spring is pure, then obviously all the water that is flowing out of that spring will be pure. That's what he's saying in verse 15. But it has to start at the source. If the source of a spring is, is polluted or contaminated, then everything that flows out of that is going to be contaminated and polluted and corrupted. But it goes back to the source. You see, the problem with these people, especially in this context, with the Jewish connections and teaching Jewish myths, is just like a lot of the Jews, they were always focused on the outward. They were focused on the externals. They never were focused on the heart. And on the inner transformation it takes place. God works from the inside out, not from the outside in. And you and I, if we're going to be spiritually healthy, then we've got to quit focusing on all the externals and try to get all them right. All we've got to do is let God begin to speak into and change our heart. And once God gets a hold of our heart, then everything externally will start to take care of itself. That's why the Bible says, You know, take care of your heart. Out of it are all the issues of life, you see. It has to come from the inside out. In fact, keep your finger there for a moment in Titus 1 and go back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, a gospel that we've been teaching through on Sunday morning. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Jesus taught this very same thing to His followers early on in His ministry. I want to begin in verse 14 of Mark chapter 7. Jesus said, He called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to Me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that can defile Him by going into Him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles Him. Now, when Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you so foolish? Don't you understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? For it does not enter his heart, but his stomach. Then it goes out into the sewer. This means all foods are clean. Let me stop for a moment. Remember the story that's told in the book of Galatians by Paul when he said, I had to confront Peter about something. Peter had ham on his breath. Now, I'm, I'm, that's not really what it says, but you remember though what, what the hypocrisy was in Peter's life. Remember? He, he, he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. He realizes that all foods are clean. He, he, he understands it's not about the externals. It's, it's about the internal. It's about the heart. So I don't have to worry about eating Ham? So I can start eating ham. But then Paul said later on, here's what happened. Peter started hanging around a bunch of Jewish legalists. And he got influenced by them. And all of a sudden, he stopped eating ham, which was bad enough. But then he started to teach his brothers and sisters in Christ, don't eat ham. And Paul confronted him. Paul rebuked him. Paul said, whoa, whoa, Peter. Don't you understand the teaching of our Lord? It's not about anything external. That doesn't affect us. It's about our heart. And God wants our heart. And yet, throughout the centuries, churches and Christians have been so focused on the outward things and the appearance of things and the externals, rather than saying here's what we got to focus on. We've all got to focus on our heart and getting our heart right and getting our heart lined up with God. Then the other things, the bad attitudes, the the, the bad actions, all of those things, they'll take care of themselves because notice what Jesus goes on to say. He said, verse 20, what comes out of a person, that's what defiles him. For from within, out of the human heart, come evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. He pretty much covers it all right there. All these evils come from within and defile a person. See, Jesus is teaching that one's heart is not regulated by our behavior, but our behavior is regulated by our heart. And that's what Paul's teaching here to Titus. That's what he's teaching. Be an inside-out Christian. In fact, I know we at least sing one song that talks about it's from the inside out. It's a reminder to us that that's the way it works and that's where our focus needs to be. Don't get caught up in the externals, in the outward appearance of things. Keep focusing on heart transformation that God wants to do in all of us. And as a church, he wants to work from the inside out. Now, why that's obviously essential, if you go back to Titus, we'll wrap this up tonight in verse 16, is because Paul says, our actions are a heart diagnostic. You see. Our life is going to Manifest or show what we really believe and what really desires are in our heart of hearts. Because he says, they profess to know God. Let's stop right there. There's this whole idea about profession really means very little. Because really what that is is a talk. Paul says, Anybody can profess anything. It's not about words. Again, anybody can talk the talk. It's about expressing it. It's about walking the walk. And these people in Titus 1:16, they profess to know God. It means they profess that they and, hey me and God we're like this. We're close. I couldn't be any closer to God than what I am right now. And yet, living an ungodly lifestyle? And that's why Paul goes on to say they profess to know God, but with their deeds, with their actions, with their lifestyle, with their behavior, they actually deny Him. Literally, it means they contradict God. Because God says, if you know me, and you're allowing me to work on your heart, then there will be visible evidence and expression of it on the outside. They will be one and the same. There won't be a difference between what I profess and the way I live. Because why? Because it's coming from the inside out. Hypocrisy will always happen to us when we try to work from the outside in. Because we try to sort of, we try to, get this done, and, and we're always going the opposite of the way God wants to work. When you and I let this principle sort of grab a hold of us and let God work on us from through His Spirit in, in our at a heart level from the inside out, then all that stuff will take care of itself. And things will start to line up in our life. And notice what God thinks of these people. He says... From God's perspective, they are detestable. Literally, it means they're disgusting to God. They're disobedient, and they're unfit for service in God's kingdom. You see, again, our actions are a heart diagnostic. They don't betray us. How we live shows what's really in our heart. And isn't this what Jesus said? Let me go back. I'll just give you the reference. Matthew 7, 20. What did Jesus say? He said, By their fruits, you will what? Know them. By their fruits, you'll know them. Look at the, look at the fruit. God isn't impressed with what we profess. God isn't impressed with what we talk. God isn't impressed with our words. What really shows that you and I are on the same page with God and our heart is aligned with His is when it's expressed in our life. In our fruit. And Jesus said the same thing in John 15. He said, In this is my Father glorified, that you bear Much fruit. Jesus calls us to be fruitful Christians. How can I be a fruitful Christian? By letting God work on me at the heart level and working inside out rather than outside in. So, again, Paul's like, Titus, you got some important work to do. This is so important because as these churches get established on the Isle of Crete, if they're not set up to be spiritually healthy, then all this disease and bad stuff is going to come in, and all of a sudden it's going to sap the spirit and the spiritual life and the spiritual power right out of that church. And even though the church may be existing, Even though the church and its people may be going through all these motions and there may be a lot of activity and busyness and all of that, God may be in very little of it. Because there are three requirements for a spiritually healthy church. Zealous for the truth, distinct from our culture, and focused on the inside out. Focused on heart transformation. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. It is living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It does pierce. It does cut. But God, it is always sent forth cutting to cure. Operating within us to liberate us, to set us free. Free, to get out of our lives the disease and the diseases spiritually that are making us anemic and weak and sickly and ill spiritually. God, you call your people to be whole in you, to be well in you, to be spiritually healthy and fit. But God, there are certain requirements that are necessary for that. And I pray that not only would we as a local church seek to follow this instruction tonight, but that each of us as believers would also do the same. That we would be aware of the threat of bad, diseased doctrine and bad spiritual food that is out there all over the place. And that we would only take in the good food that's going to make us spiritually healthy and push away that bad food that's only going to hurt us spiritually. And God, help us to realize that we will never reach the world by being like the world, but by being distinct and different. And help us, Lord, to always remember that with you, it's not about externals. It's about eternals. It's about the internal. It's about our heart. And so, God, help us to get our hearts right. Help us to align our heart with you. Help us, Lord, to allow your spirit and your word and our worship time, and our prayer time, and all of these different things, Lord, to continually work on our heart. So that the source of all of our life, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, is flowing with that pure water that only comes from you, God. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you on Sunday.